RVFTA's Campground of the Week is sponsored by Jayco. To see a complete lineup of products, visit jayco.com. And by Blackstone. See their complete line of griddles and accessories at blackstoneproducts.com. America the Beautiful. There is adventure to be found around every corner. And there is no better way to explore it than by staying at one of our country's 14,000 campgrounds. Our team of correspondents will guide you to the best places to park your rig or pitch your tent. On each week's episode, we'll give a complete review of one campground, location, activities, amenities, best sites, and tons of other insider intel. Plus, we'll talk about regional highlights, food, culture, attractions, family fun, and all things great outdoors. From the East Coast to the West Coast, and from the Great Lakes to the Mississippi Delta, it's time to hit the open road with RVFTA's Campground of the Week. Our Pacific Northwest correspondent is Shelley Bailey Shaw, and she is the editor of KidTripster.com, an online resource that provides information and inspiration to families traveling anywhere in the world. The website has a designated outdoor section to guide those interested in exploring our country's natural wonders. Shelley and her family have visited 46 states and 44 national parks, most of them in their 38-foot Numar Ventana. And as of last month, She's visited her seventh continent, Antarctica. Welcome to the show, Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are really excited to have you for this campground review. I mean, we love all of our campground reviews, but it's especially exciting for us when there's one that's sort of a bucket list destination for us that we haven't gotten to yet. So tell us where you're taking us this week. So we are going to uh, Pinion Flats Campground, and that is inside the Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. Now, something in your notes just jumped out as I was reading your notes before the show. You have been to 44 national parks, and you are calling this one of your five favorites. Am I correct? Absolutely. I'm, you know, this is an absolute gem, particularly for families. And of our 44 national parks, it's definitely in the top five, it might be the top three for my sons because it's just a really kid-friendly park. Um, and the national park itself, you know, is located in south central Colorado. So it's about a three-hour drive southwest of Colorado Springs or a four-hour drive from Denver. All right, so we are going to hear all about why this is one of your favorite national parks later on when you talk about the things to do in the area, I'm sure. But we'll first zoom in on the campground itself. Uh, national parks can vary a lot in what they offer for RVers and, and tenters. So what do we find here? Yeah, so um, Pinion Flats, it sits just inside the main entrance of the park, and it's open April through October. 
Um, there is a commercial campground called Oasis that's just outside of the park. Um, there's also a primitive campground called um, Zapata Falls, about 10 minutes away, and then uh, several others about 30 miles away or so. But I strongly recommend staying at Pinion Flats. This is one of those circumstances where staying inside the park and close to the action makes a lot of sense. Love that tip because sometimes you don't, don't want to be in I the know. park. You might be actually far away from everything. So how big is this campground? So it has 88 sites, both for tents and RVs. Um, there is a limit on the size of RV at this park. It's 35 feet, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, so if you are in driving you know, a bigger rig, you're going to be forced to look at one of those outside parks for accommodations. All right, so what does this campground look like in this national park? I mean, do you get great views? What's, what's, this, what's the setup? You know, it's really a breathtaking area. The, the campground is situated among, you know, pinyon pines and sagebrush. It's beneath the Sangaree de Cristo Mountains. And most sites either have um, a view of the, like, snow-capped peaks or the dune field, which we're going to talk more about more in a few minutes. And, you know, it's the kind of spot where you're likely to see mule deer, you know, roaming through the campgrounds um, when you're out for a walk in, you know, in the morning with your dog. I mean, it's just a really picturesque Colorado park. And is that part of the reason, I mean, that's one of the reasons I would assume where you're saying you want to stay in this park and not be 20 minutes away because it's such a beautiful national park campground. It's a beautiful park. And I think even more importantly is its proximity to this dune field um, where you're going to have a lot of fun. And it just, if you're at the, if you're camping right here, you're going to be able to access that dune field all during the day. I mean, you can go out for morning hikes. You can be there um, in the creek in the afternoon. And then when it cools down in the evening, you can go back. And so if you're staying right there, I think it's proximity to the dune field that, that's really key. Reminding me of Badlands. I just was thinking yep. the same thing. Just being right there where you could do those rock scrambles all you the time is worth campsite yeah, into everything. The yeah. So what's the price range and ease of booking? Is this one tough to get a site at? You know, the sites are really reasonably priced. It's 20 bucks a night, um, and reservations are made through uh, recreation.gov, the website. You can make reservations up to six months in advance, um, and as you might expect with a national park, you know, the spots are going to go quickly in the summer, particularly on the weekends. But there's also another peak time for this park that you may not expect. It's late May and early June. All the campsites will be reserved in advance during the, that period of time. And most of the campsites um, and campgrounds around the park, you know, probably within a 30-mile radius, they're going to be filled too. And it's because it's peak flow time for the Medano Creek. Um, this is a creek that people love to float. They love to play in. And it's the best time of the year to witness this really strange phenomenon um, that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Um, but you definitely want to book in, in advance at this park. Um, I'm I'm very Sounds curious. Sounds like so much fun. <laughs> we're we're waiting. I want, I'm wondering breath. if we're going to take a Twilight Zone kind of turn here. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the, the site layout and how the sites actually look individually. So there's two main loops and then a separate loop for groups. I'd say that the sites are, are typical. They're, you know, fairly close together. Um, there are a few pull-throughs for larger rigs, but again, you're going to be limited to 35 feet. 
We stayed in site number 45, which was a pull through at the very entrance to loop number two. Um, It offered a little bit more privacy, which is why I liked it. Um, And here's a big thing. There are no hookups, so you are going to be roughing it a little bit here, but there is a dump station. Time to get that solar system, solar, everybody. We're doing okay. <laughs> so we're not we're not expecting much in the way of amenities, but what 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 is there? Yeah, you know the real draw here is the natural features, but the campground does have a camp store during the summer, and there is an amphitheater for evening ranger programs. They do a really good stargazing program. Um, in fact, you can pick up a, a free star chart and sun moon calendar at the visitor center. And in addition to the regular junior ranger program, um, your kids can also earn a night explorer badge, which I think is pretty cool. You know, when my boys were younger, they were like all about those badges. So, and you know, now you have reluctant teens. And and if you do have reluctant teens who don't want to get their junior ranger badges, that's okay. That's okay. All right. How about Wi-Fi and cell service? I'm thinking this might be a little bit rough. Yeah. You know, when you look at a map of Colorado, you're going to realize just how remote this park is. There's no Wi-Fi in or near the park. Cell service is spotty. If you have Verizon, you may get coverage at the visitor center or at the campground. But I think it's best to prepare for an unplugged vacation here. Now, one of the highlights for us always in staying in a national park campground is our interactions with the rangers at the programs and things like that. Did you find that to be a really dynamic part of this park experience? I did. You know, the rangers do a great job. They're more than willing to give you any advice on trails and activities. Um, and do make sure you stop in the visitor center on your way in. We we always watch the park video, you know, just to kind of prime ourselves for the visit. Um, but here in particular, you're going to want to watch that video to sort of understand just how it is that, you know, one of the largest dune fields in the U.S. ended up in southern Colorado. It's a really interesting story. Any insider details, any specifics that will help our listeners really plan the best possible trip here? Um, I think it's more of a warning. There is one restaurant located just outside the main entrance, but that's it for food. You know, the nearest grocery store or even other restaurants are a good 25 miles away. So you're going to want to come prepared to cook your own food. There's not going to be any sort of like last minute run to get s'mores uh, fixins or anything like that. Very, very important. And so yeah. you are going to want to bring your Blackstone griddle to, to, to do your cooking right at your site and bring one of your little green propane tanks and you can cook whatever you want right at your campsite. So we're going to take a second and we've got a sponsored message from our friends at Blackstone. All right, everybody. From the large 36-inch four-burner griddles to our 17-inch one-burner tabletop version, you'll find a Blackstone that's just right for you and your lifestyle, whether you are at home or a national park campground. Blackstone lets you cook everything you can on a traditional grill and a thousand things you can't, like cheese steaks and bacon and eggs and pancakes and all those other yummy treats that you want to eat while you're camping. You can take advantage of four cooking heat zones on the 36-inch griddles, so cooking an entire entire meal all at once is totally possible. Nobody's ever going to walk away hungry when you're cooking on a Blackstone. Go to blackstoneproducts.com. They always have free shipping and you can use code RVFTA for 10% off your order. And this year on the 17 and 22 inch Blackstone griddles, 
they they say adventure ready on them. Really? So in case you weren't sure, <laughs> you can have an adventure. Those griddles are ready for adventure. Our Blackstone came along on our South Dakota adventure with us. Our twenty two went the all cut. the way out to Mount Rushmore. We had tight packing room, and it made the. We cut. didn't bring it into the park itself, but we no, had, we're using but it, it was in Badlands. In all right now, Shelley, we know that nobody's perfect, and every campground has something that could be improved. Anything at this campground that could be changed. You know, again, the park here is a little tight, um, and especially tight for bigger rigs. When we visited, we were driving a 31-footer, and I just re- I remember really having to, like, creep along the campground loop and, you know, take some extra care when you're make- making those turns and hoping that you're not, like, swinging out the back end into somebody's sight. Um, so it's just, a you know, a little extra caution at this park I think would be wise. All right, great tip. But now let's go to the fun part. I can't wait to hear about why we have to stay in this campground so we can explore this amazing national park, one of your top five favorites. Yeah, and seriously, if you were to ask my kids, I would say that they probably had the most fun at this particular national park, uh, Great Sand Dunes. It's it's a blast. So um, let's start with the dunes themselves, uh, which you can walk to from the campground, as we mentioned. If you're visiting here during the summer, you're going to want to get an early start on your day. You know, by the afternoon, the sand temperature can actually reach 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're not going to be wanting to walk around barefoot on the sand dunes at that point. So um, at sunrise or certainly no later than 7.30 in the morning, I'd recommend a hike to what's called High Dune. And this is the dune that's on the first ridge. It's not the tallest in the park. It's 699 feet, but it looks that way from the main parking lot. And, you know, there are no designated trails on these dunes. So you just kind of, you cross the flats and then you zigzag up the ridge lines. And I'd say it takes about an hour to get to the top um, or 40 minutes if you're two teenage boys who are like totally trying to show up their parents um, because that's what mine did. <laughs> and we know your your boys are athletes too from what we hear. Well, and, and they decided to make a point and took a completely different route because, you know, they just wanted to prove themselves um, faster quicker, more, more intelligent, you know, how teenagers are. So, um, anyway, we did see families with younger kids, um, also making the climb. You'll just have to, you know, be prepared to make more frequent stops and, um, maybe even carry them when their little legs give, give out because it is kind of a, kind of a hike. Um, but miraculously, you know, everyone recovers when it's kind time to run down the dunes at the end or roll down. If you're my younger son, um, it's definitely a hike where you're going to want to bring plenty of water and your camera because the views from the top of the dune are just breathtaking. Was um, it, was it crowded? Like, I mean, cause you're saying you have to get out there by 730 AM. So are there like a lot of people heading there at one time? I think that some people just aren't as knowledgeable and they don't start as early. Um, because if you take this hike later in the day, even if you're like leaving at nine o'clock in the morning and you, let's say you're there during the summer, right? It's going to get too hot. It's just, it's hot and it's hard. So, um, there were other people making the hike, but I would say that we were amongst the ones in the first group. Um, by the way, there is a higher dune, 
um, at this park. It's actually the highest in North America. It's called Star Dune, and it's 750 feet. You can hike to it, but it's a round trip of like five hours, so I wouldn't recommend it. Well, Not yeah, and, and and you have to have a lot of experience hiking um, on sand if you think that you're going to undertake this because it really is different, and it takes people by surprise. Well, even we, at Sleeping Bear Dunes, yeah. where it's not mm-hmm. going to get so hot. I mean, I don't think in Michigan, you know, we were there. Like, people get kind of stuck out there yeah. because they don't know what they're getting into. And um, we have a lot of listeners that are actually going to Sleeping Bear Dunes, I think, this summer. We've seen some chatter in our Facebook group. And they'll just, you know, when you research those hikes, people say, this looks like a short hike and it will take you forever hiking in the sand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's really exhausting, um, but the view from the top is totally worth it. Uh, one other insider tip here, though, if you can plan your visit for a full moon, do it. You know, I'm told that the walk on the dunes in the moonlight is totally surreal, and you won't even need flashlights, not to mention it, it'll be a lot cooler. But people rave about a moonwalk at this particular park. Sounds like a a magical experience to me. So what about some more exciting, more adrenaline kind of stuff for the uh, teenagers in the crowd? Yeah. So once you've recovered from the hike, um, then it's time for some fun. And at this park, it's all about the sandboarding and sand sledding. So you'll have to make a choice. Um, You're either going to rent your boards or your sleds the day before, like right as you enter the park, there's this um, store called Oasis and they have, that's where you rent the boards and the sleds. Um, So you can do it as you go into the park or you can drive back out of the park and get them the next morning. If you do that, it'll be $20 per board or sled for the day. If you do it in advance, like we did, then you're on the hook for two days rental. So it's it's a lot more convenient, but you are paying, you know, $40 to, to rent a board that you're only using for a day. So you kind of have to decide about that. But you need um, these boards, right? You absolutely are going to need these boards. The rented boards and sleds, they're, they're specially designed for sand. And trust me, like snow sleds, snowboards, um, those round saucers, cardboard, it won't work. We tried. It's not going to work. <laughs> Everybody probably tries, try. right? <laughs> yeah. So don't even bother. Don't waste your time. You really do need to rent the boards. And, you know, sandboarding is much like snowboarding. Um, if your family's anything like mine, the kids will master it far more quickly than the grownups. Um, by my, my, by maybe his second run, my son was like cruising down to the bottom without falling me, not so much. Um, but it was still fun, really challenging. My older son actually liked, um, the sand sledding even better. Um, and we do have a link at kid tripster, kind of a how to video that people may want to watch before they go just to kind of give them a, a leg up on the on the sandboarding. Oh, that's fun. There's so I many that. great <laughs> tips here you're giving us, Shelly, because this sounds like the type of national park with a little bit of a learning curve, right? Like you could kind of show up here and, and not be, be prepared. Be like really unprepared. <laughs> Wait, I don't have milk and I don't have sandboards. <laughs> and I only brought sandals with me <laughs> and this summer. I have summer. a really big rig. <laughs> you're telling us we also need to remember to bring socks. Yeah, you know, another pro tip, um, bring socks to wear when you're boarding and sledding, mostly to protect your feet from the heat of the sand. Um, the sand boards, they do have like foot straps, but you don't have to wear shoes. You could just wear socks. 
All right, so what else do we have to do? There's still more. Oh, yeah, we have to find out about this interesting thing that people come to see specifically, right? That's right. So, you know, after a couple of hours of climbing up and down um, the dunes with the sledding and the boarding, you're totally going to be wiped out. I mean, your kids are going to be tired. So that's the time to head down the dunes to the base, and that's where you're going to find Maidano Creek. Um, it's right there at the base of the dune field, and you're going to spend the rest of your day here. This creek is like a water playground, super popular, lots of fun. Um, its depth varies based on the snow melt and, and the time of year. Uh, peak flow that we were talking about in late May and June, you know, it's deep enough that you can actually float this creek. Um, but even if you go later in the season, it's still a lot of fun. The most interesting thing is the periodic waves that ripple through the stream. And it's a phenomenon called surge flow. And Maidano Creek is actually one of the only places in the world where this occurs. And even though we weren't there during the, the peak water flow season and we visited in July, we still saw it. And it, it's just really weird. It's like, it's like this ocean current that just pops up in the, in the middle of the creek. And it, it's just, it's bizarre, but really cool. Maybe we'll put Stephanie to work to find some YouTube video that demonstrates this whole thing. I'm sure, <laughs> the I'm sure there's a million YouTube videos. Oh, okay, okay, Shelly, you've got some really important information for our doggy lovers out there, right? Yeah, you know, Great Sand Dunes is one of the really few, uh, few national parks that allows dogs, um, even on the dune fields. So you got to be smart, though, right? You're only going to take your pets out in the early morning or the evening when the sand won't be too hot on their paws. Um, but the dogs can also play in the creek. And our lab was in absolute heaven. Loved it. Loved it. Perfect dog for a well, surge Maggie flow would creek. Be yeah, in heaven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else that we should definitely put on our agenda for visiting this park? I'd say if you have any energy left, because um, it is kind of an exhausting park, um, or perhaps if you're in there another day, you could head over to Zapata Falls Recreation Area. It's only about eight miles um, south of the park. And here you're going to get some really great views of the dunes and the mountains and the San Luis Valley. Um, there's a hike here. It's about a half mile. Um, you kind of scramble over slippery rocks and then you go into this like rock cre- um, crevice and then you're going to find a waterfall here. And again, it's, you know, make sure you bring your camera because it's a really photogenic um, spot. And then, you know, just one Final word on the whole thing is that we did this park visit as part of a road trip to all the Colorado National Parks. So we also visited Rocky Mountain National Park and Black Canyon of the Gunnarsson National Park, which I have to admit to you is one of my least favorites in the park system. Um, but if you're kind of on a quest to visit them all, like my family is, you're going to go anyway. But Shelly, um, I'm shocked. The Black <laughs> Canyon of the Gunnison National Park, <laughs> that old classic, that old war horse that the most of us put up right there with Yellowstone and Yosemite. How Have you dare ever you? Heard of it? No. Not until right now. <laughs> Just now. <laughs> I know. Are you sure I, it wasn't like a not a national park and like some kind of strip mall or something? <laughs> you know, and I, I hate to be a downer about a national park because I really do love love national parks, but this particular one, um, I didn't particularly like visiting because most of the park is re- really um, inaccessible. I mean, it is a canyon, and so you're up on the ridge, 
Um, the hiking is kind of limited and unless you're a rock climber, cause that's really, you know, rock climbers from around the world come to this park, but unless you're like a, you know, semi-professional rock climber, eh, there's not a lot to Some do with poor this park. park ranger is listening to the I show guess, right I now. Know. The chief ranger at Black Canyon of the Gunnison. I know. This is where they send rangers to punish them. <laughs> All right. Now, we want to thank our sponsor, Jayco, for supporting RVFTA and Campground of the Week. Jayco has helped generation after generation create family memories since 1968, offering travel trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, Class C and Class A motorhomes. It's easy to find the perfect Jayco for your family. With an industry-leading two-year limited warranty, beautiful design, and innovative safety features, you'll be confident in your Jayco. Visit your local Jayco dealer or Jayco.com for more information. Jayco, Generations of Family Fun. And you know what else is fun? Spending time with Shelly on Campground of the Week. Shelly, where can everybody find you? Well, I, I'm going to stop okay. you for a second. I want to just say, because Shelly might not say it, that Kid Tripster recently won a really huge reward. So they won a award. A, award. <laughs> I don't know if there was a reward. I, we don't know if there was a reward. Kid <laughs> Tripster found a criminal let loose. Yeah. No. So, uh, so you guys recently were recognized as a silver award winner for the best travel the best journalism travel website by the Society of American Travel Writers. Like this is for reals here. And to well, give everybody a yeah. sense of how big this award was, Shelley, who award. won first place? Uh the BBC. Aww. Yeah, so you came in second to the BBC and that's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah, I'll <laughs> yeah, people who have just been introduced to you on RVFTA might not realize that you have had a long career in journalism. And Jeremy and I actually, I'm going to tell you this right now, Shelly, before you came on the show, we watched some of your clips online. Like we do our research. We Google. Oh, yeah. We Google everyone. We Google. And we like oh, watch yeah. your clips online. And like you were on TV doing the nightly news. Like you are good at this stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I now have to live up to that that wonderful compliment. But no, we're like we're really excited about this particular um, award. You know, everyone who writes for uh, Kid Tripster um, work really hard, and um, so we're we're excited about it. And we hope that you guys will uh, stop over and check us out at kidtripster dot com. And then also you can find them on all the other social media sites: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest on Kid Tripster as well. So Shelly, thanks for bringing us another great episode. We really appreciate it. And thank you to it's all there. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shelly. We can't wait to have you back again. Thank you to everybody that's listening to the campground of the week. Uh, we release new episodes every Wednesday. A big thank you to our sponsors, Jayco and Blackstone. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please hop over to iTunes and leave us a review. We sure would appreciate it. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground. Mm-hmm.